Welcome to River City Church Podcast. We're glad you're listening. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co. Today, as we uh, get into the Word, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel 30. A familiar story, but a story that uh, I think is pivotal. I love the story of, of David. David is uh, well known for, of course, killing Goliath and uh, being Israel's champion. Uh, he's known later for becoming king. Uh, but between Goliath and between him taking the throne of Israel, uh, there was a extended season of, of waiting an extended season of wondering what's next, an extended season, season of trusting the promise of God. And, uh, you know, there's going to be some things that may speak to you specifically uh, as you start this year, as we're at the beginning of 2022. Uh, maybe the last couple of years took more than they gave, but I want to encourage you that no matter what the situation is, no matter what your families walk through, no matter what you personally have walked through, uh, God is a God of restoration. God is a promise-keeping God. He's a God of covenant. He's a God who's faithful. And David discovered that. David's one of my favorite people to look at in the Bible uh, because of the amount of detail we get of David's life. And, of, uh, and, and really just his own walk with God was very unique and special in, in so many ways. But it also points to us of, of what, what can happen when we're a worshiper. What can happen when we pursue God with all that's in our heart. Uh, 1 Samuel 30 is a moment that David would probably have considered one of the lowest moments of his life. It was three days before he would become king, but he didn't know that yet. Uh, you know, you've heard the expression, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, you look back and you look at moments and seasons where uh, you, you almost quit, but you didn't, and, and, and God came through, God worked all things together, the promise happened, but David's in that moment. He's about to experience one of the greatest breakthroughs of his entire life. He's waited for 10 years. He's now been on the run. He's been a fugitive from King Saul. The current king is out to kill him, and so while he's a fugitive on the run, he is continuing to be faithful to God and fight Israel's battles even though he's a fugitive, uh, even though he's far away, and while he's in this season, he's uh, begun to have a family. His, his, he's gathered an army that is fighting for Israel, and they've camped at a place called Ziklag. Here's what it says in 1 Samuel 30, verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day. They've been out to battle, out to fight Israel's enemies. Uh, on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south, and they invaded Ziklag, and they attacked this city, this town of Ziklag, and they burned it with fire. And they had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They didn't kill anyone, but they carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city. They returned home. They found that everything was gone and everything was left in ashes. There it was, burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. This is where they're at. David has been waiting for the promise. He's, the promise, if you don't know, is David is going to become king. God has anointed him, even as a young man, to be 
king. But while he's waiting for the promise to happen, he spent the better part of 10 years in this in-between season. He spent the better part of 10 years at a place where uh, the opposite seems to be happening. Rather than being a king, he's on the run. Rather than being uh, walking in what he would consider his God-given purpose and calling in life, he's on the run, in hiding even. And now, at this point at which he's been just trying to make it, he's now at the place of really ruin. Uh, everything that he has has been taken by the Amalekites. The Amalekites are, are well known throughout the history of Israel, of all the nations and tribes and peoples that Israel fought. The Amalekites were kind of, they, they fought dirty, let's just say that. They, they were the ones who wouldn't fight you in open conflict as often. They would try to hit you where you were most vulnerable. Uh, they, they, in, in their first experience with Israel in combat, they actually, rather than face uh, them on the front line, they came up and, and attacked the, the, the most vulnerable in their camp. They attacked the children and the elderly, and they went after. Uh, and so that's why God himself actually said of the Amalekites that I will never stop fighting them. Uh, it's a bad day when you're on, on God's hit list. Uh, but the Amalekites, because of what they did, they, uh, they, they fought dirty. And so, but they, while Israel, or excuse me, while David's army is off fighting, they come and they take their family. They take their resources. They come after what they have. And that's just like how the devil works. He, he doesn't try to fight you always openly. Sometimes he hits us where we're most vulnerable. He tries to go after our families. He tries to go after our resources. He tries to go after our health or our marriage or uh, our integrity, our character. Whatever it is, he tries to undermine and destroy, not where we feel strongest, but where we are most vulnerable. And that's what happens. The Amalekites have taken everything, and David now, as he returns with his men, really probably having great success on the battlefield, come back to ruins and ashes. But it's, it's at this point, you know, David's the leader. And so David's mourning. The people are mourning. They're weeping. As you see, it says they had no more power. Verse 6 to weep. Uh, verse 6, now David was greatly distressed. Now his own men, his own troops, the many he had led and, and poured into, his people spoke even of stoning him because they were so grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters. But here's what I want you to see that David did because a lot of people are encountering their own ziklag right now in life. Uh, maybe the last two years has looked like that for some of us. But, uh, you know, some people stay in Ziklag and some people overcome it. Some people stay in the ash sheep and some people overcome it. In fact, I think there's two people that leave Ziklag, those that quit and those that do what David does next. David strengthened himself, it says, in the Lord his God. Keep that verse up for a moment. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. God, verse 6, he, he, some translations say he encouraged himself. David was somebody who, who had had a walk with and a history with God that sustained him in difficult seasons. And at this moment, David, rather than throwing in the towel, rather than quitting, in fact, at this moment, those closest to him are about to walk out. They're about to kill David and take off. But when others walked out, God walked in. And I just want to encourage you, no matter what's happened, no matter who's walked out, God walks in. He meets you at Ziklag. He meets you at the place of even ruin. He may meet you at the place. Maybe you're not at bottom like David was, but you're just at a place that's a difficult season, a hard season, or, or maybe just even at a place where you don't know what to do next. That's where David is. But David does the first thing that I think is the most important thing, not just in crisis moments, but every single day we need to do this. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself. And then David sent to Abiathar the priest, to Himelech's son, 
And he said, bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered and said, pursue, you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. I've got uh, three points for you today. I've got three points that I believe are are. Well, of course, from the story, but three points that are essential. Uh, the first one is this, strengthen. Number one is strengthen. It's time to strengthen yourself in Christ. It's time for us to strengthen ourselves in Jesus because it's in the place where we are strengthened by God no matter what the circumstance is. See, this is something David does that I think is a part of his regular life. He's learned to strengthen himself in God. David, at the beginning of this 10 years of waiting, was actually alone. When he left Saul's presence and Saul was trying to kill him, he was completely alone. But he was never really alone because he knew how to draw near to God. The, the key to overcoming in life, the key to walking in all that God has for you in life is to learn how to get good at, get better at strengthening yourself in God. Sometimes you don't have a message to encourage you. You don't have the worship team to lead you. It's just you and Jesus. But when it's you and Jesus, that's all you need. That's all you need to be strengthened in God. David wrote this in Psalm 23, probably the most well-known psalm in the whole Bible. It's a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. I think David found that out in moments just like this. Because, you know, it's easy to look back at these guys like David and think that they were just somehow super saints. But David was feeling the same grief. That, In fact, he had it almost double because not only was he grieving for himself, but he was grieving for those around him. And David didn't have any of his guys there to go, hey, David, it's going to be all right. You know, they wanted to kill David. You know, got to blame somebody. <laughs> and so David, David does something that's so essential for all of us. David encouraged himself, strengthened himself, and he turned to God when he could have run, he could have quit, he could have thrown in the towel, he could have said, God, how come this happened? I've trusted you, I've followed you, I've, 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 I've walked in your ways, I've followed your word. How come this happened? That's why a lot of people quit. They don't know that they're just a few days away. <laughs> they don't know that when breakthrough's the closest, the fight's the strongest. When, when you're closest to everything changing, the devil throws everything he's got. He pulls out all the stops. Because his history, his experience with people has told him that if I just go, at, if I press the hardest right before their breakthrough from God, they'll give up and quit prematurely. They'll quit just before their marriage changes. They'll quit just before their, they, they grow in their faith. They'll quit just before, they'll quit just before they see their kids uh, come back to Jesus. They, they'll quit praying. They'll quit standing. They'll quit believing. And the enemy knows that, so he keeps, he intensifies. He turns up the heat. But that, to me, I've learned this over, uh, over my, you know, walk with Jesus, that those moments that get the more, even more intense just encourages me that something, about, something good's about to happen. <laughs> Maybe the enemy knows that, that what's about to happen is going to change everything. Come on, church. A lot of people get discouraged when things get tougher. I, I, I've just learned that God shines brightest in the dark. And in this moment, David turns where all of us need to turn to the Lord, our shepherd, 
who says, I, you shall not want, and he restores our soul. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. You know, verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. See, David knew something about God that while he walks through the valley, that's not the destination. Ziklag wasn't the end of his story. It could have been, but it wasn't. Because of this one thing that David does. He strengthens himself in the Lord his God. God wants to strengthen you today. He wants to strengthen your faith. He wants to strengthen your walk with him. He says, you are with me, God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's a, you know, David was a shepherd. And there's this practice that Old Testament Hebrew shepherds would conduct that scholars say they would take their, their rod, their staff, as it was an instrument of their, of their vocation. They would use it, of course, to lead, to guide, to correct the sheep that they would uh, care for. But they also would, as a practice, would record on that staff, would mark down and write down and carve into the wood of that staff moments of significance in their life. Moments of significant milestones. It was kind of how they recorded their history. And so when David's saying, your rod, your staff, comfort me, he's not just saying, God, you're leading me. God, you're guiding me. You're protecting me. You're watching over me. But he's recalling to mind his history with God. He's recalling to mind a moment where he was by himself taking care of the sheep and a lion showed up. And, and God gave him grace and ability to overcome it and kill it. When a bear showed up, when Goliath showed up and challenged Israel, God God was with him. He was recalling to mind his history with God. This is why you don't wait until Ziklag to build a history with God. You don't just turn to God in crisis moments, but you build a history, a relationship with God, and you remind yourself of God's faithfulness. Because there's going to be a moment for all of us where we have to remind ourselves, God, you were with me when I was all by myself. You were with me when others walked out. You walked in. When I, when, I, when I drew near to you, your grace filled my life. You strengthened my life. <laughs> he says, you're with me. You set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God doesn't just bless you. He blesses you right in front of the enemy that tried to take you out. Come on, church. <laughs> you prepare a table. God sets the table for you. And he does it right in front of the thing that tried to destroy you. He, he blesses, he, he, he gives you peace when anxiety tried to take you out. He gives you hope when discouragement tried to stop you. He blesses your family when, when all hell tried to tear your family apart. Come on, church. If you only knew that you were just a couple days away. If you only knew you were just a few moments away. If you only knew that you were one prayer away, one, one promise away. See, David strengthened himself in the Lord. I love Romans 8, and I could read the whole chapter to you, but I've just picked out the, a couple verses from it to encourage you to strengthen yourself in God. See, we need to meditate. One of the things that, that David did as a practice, we know this because of some of the Psalms he wrote and how he, he pointed to God's word as a foundation, as something that revived him, strengthened him, encouraged him. We need to meditate on the word of God. 
What does that mean to meditate on the word? The word meditate in, in most people's ideas, somebody chanting on a mountain, emptying their thoughts, emptying their mind. That's not what biblical meditation is. It's filling your life with God's promises, filling your life with the word of God. And so David reminded himself, went over the promise, went over the word, went over who God was. See, when you meditate on God's word, God's word becomes the foundation from which you can strengthen yourself. Just like I physically am strengthened as I, as I eat, as I nourish myself, as I eat food that's good for me and it strengthens my body, that it, you get energy from it, your spiritual, your spiritual life, your walk with God, your soul is nourished by God's word. And so when we feed on God's word, we meditate on God's word, it reminds us of God's promises. Uh, Romans 8.28 says this, we know that all things work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's something to stand on in moments where you have to strengthen yourself in the Lord. You've got to remember that while not all things are good, and can I just help somebody? Not all things are from God. <laughs> There's an, we're actually in a spiritual battle. Jesus said this, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Good God, bad devil. Sometimes we just got to go back to Sunday school and remember that. <laughs> if God's doing something in my life, I surrender. The devil's doing something, I need to fight. Okay. Uh, but God is so good. Here's what God's able to do. God's able to work all things together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Can I just tell you today, you're called according to God's purpose? <laughs> And so let's jump down to verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? David's going, okay, Saul's against me. <laughs> Basically all of Israel at this point was against him because he's a fugitive. Uh, his own, the Malachites, of course, are against him. And now his own men are against him. But if God is for you, who can be against you? And just in case you doubt that, look at what, Paul says in Romans 8, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up through the cross, on the cross, dying for our sins, he delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who makes justified, who justifies us or makes us right with God. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God. He makes intercession for us. What shall separate us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Verse 37, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul says, I'm persuaded. Paul learned like David did, that God, when, when life walked out, when people walked out, God stepped in. Here's what he says, I'm persuaded. I'm, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, principalities or powers nor things present or things to come, height, depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that good news, church? Isn't that good news? We need to remind ourselves, if you're going through a difficult season, just stay in Romans 8. I, I remember having a conversation with somebody a few months ago. I said, this is where you live right now. <laughs> just keep reading this over until you get it. It begins with our forgiveness and our redemption, and there no longer being shame or condemnation in Christ Jesus. We've been forgiven and set free. And then he says, if you doubt it, if you wonder, God's working all things together 
He's restoring, he's transforming, he's healing. He's, he, you know what that means? Is that while right now the chapter doesn't look good, the end of the story will be. And he says, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. David does something. He strengthens himself in the Lord. A couple quick ways, if you're taking notes, to strengthen yourself in God. First, I already said this, meditate on the word of God. Recall to mind God's promises. Remember what God said. Remember what God's spoken, what he's put on your heart, what you've prayed for. And then pray until you have peace. See, some of us pray, but we don't pray until we have peace. Pray until you're no longer carrying the burden. Pray until you feel the peace of God that passes all understanding. And that means that sometimes you haven't seen anything change yet. You're still in Ziklag. But you feel the peace of God, the presence of God, the joy of God. Next, we worship until we see God. David, David was a worshiper. He was a warrior. And he was a, he was a, but first and foremost, he was a worshiper. And because he was a worshiper, his focus wasn't on Goliath. His focus and attention wasn't on the lion or the bear. He could deal with the enemy when it showed up. But his focus and attention throughout his life was upon the shepherd who was with him. Upon God who was faithful. Upon God who is greater. We just sang about it today. God, you reign. When, our, when we worship our God, we can't make God bigger or stronger. He's already infinitely able, infinitely strong, infinitely powerful. But when we worship, our view of the problem becomes minimized or eclipsed by our view of our God who's able. And sometimes what we need to do more than anything else is worship first. Set our attention on God. David then turns, as I, as I read in verse 7, he turns to the priest. Abiathar, he calls for him. Abiathar's name is really interesting. It means, my father is great, or father of abundance. He turns to the priest, and you know the Bible tells us in the New Testament that Jesus is our high priest. He is the mediator between us and God. He is the only mediator between us and God, and so we go to Jesus. We go to Jesus, and this is what he does. He turns and he says, can you bring the ephod here to me? Now, the ephod, that may not mean anything for you, but in the Old Testament, the high priest would determine God's will with something called the ephod. They would pray, and then God would use the ephod. It was, it was a part of the breastplate of the high priest to indicate what God's will was. It, 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 but, but here's what's beautiful is Jesus... Our perfect high priest has given us his word, and he's given us the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to have a shot in the dark. God, what do you want? What's your will? I can turn to Jesus. And what I love about what David does is he gets strong enough in that moment to then go, God, what are you saying? Let's do something. <laughs> I, I, I feel hope rising. What, 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 God, what do you want me to do? And here's what he asks him. He says, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? Two final points. Number two is this, pursue. After you've strengthened, it's time to pursue. It's time for bold, faith-filled action. Do you know faith is more than what we believe about God? It's our response based on what we believe. 
So if I believe that God is who he says he is, if I believe that just like Abiathar's name means father of abundance, how, you know, he's, he's the father of abundance when you're in Ziklag. Heaven never runs out. He's the healer. He's the provider. He's the, he's the strengthener. He's the restorer. And so David encourages himself, strengthens himself, and as he's done this, all of a sudden his view begins to, begins to his hope, his view of God begins to grow again, and he begins to realize, God, do you want me to go after them? When you've encouraged yourself, you start to dream again. When you've strengthened yourself, you start to believe again. But then it's time to act. Lots of people have a passive faith. Passive faith never moves mountains. <laughs> passive faith seems wise, but it's actually rooted in fear. <laughs> church, there's going to be some things this year as, as a church family. We're going we're gonna to respond to what God's called us to do, and it's going to look like bold, faith-filled action. And, and I just want to tell you, that's for you too. What is God calling you to do in 2022? Do you feel like you don't have enough? Do you feel like you're not qualified? Do you, do you feel like you, you can't do it on your own? Well, the good news is you're not doing it on your own. But with Jesus, with him, you can pursue. I love this verse, Matthew 11:12. 12. Jesus says, he's describing, he's talking about John the Baptist and season that was changing as John the Baptist was martyred. Then he says this, describing the ministry in that season of Jesus, the king coming and bringing the kingdom, and people first responding to the message of repentance from John the Baptist and and, and that whole season. Here's what Jesus says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. He amplified kind of brings this out. Uh, He says, violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. A share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with the most ardent zeal and intense exertion. Number two is pursue. We gotta pursue this. We've gotta pursue the purpose of God. We've gotta pursue the call of God. We've gotta pursue God himself. It's not a passive thing, but it's it's a passionate thing. It's the thing that drives us because there is so much more. We've said this as a church. It's kind of our, I don't know if we call it a slogan, but you're made for more. You're made for more than what religions offered you. You're made for more than what religion said you could have. You're made for more than what sin has taken from you. About what the world identified you as or how it labeled you. You're made for more. You're made for what God has created you for. But we're only going to find it by pursuit. By pursuing the king. And Jesus says the violent, this this aggressive picture is is of a violent pursuit or an aggressive pursuit after something that's prized and worth pursuing. See, everybody in life is pursuing something. The question is, is it worthy of our pursuit or not? And when we pursue God, he is worthy of it. Bold belief produces bold action. Faith always involves action. Somebody tells me they have faith, but there's no action of what they believe. So, for example, as a church, you know, we, we believe that God's the healer, but if we don't translate that into praying for people, we can have the right doctrinal statement, but it doesn't do anything for us if we don't actually put it to practice. 
So, so in everything we believe, we want it. That's why one of our core values as a church is faith is our lifestyle. It's not just a statement of faith. We have that. But it's a lifestyle of, of following what he said. And that's an adventure church, I'm telling you. If you want to experience, as I mentioned last week, whatever he says to do, do it. If you want to experience the fullness of the Christian life and all that you're created for, get his word, believe it, and then just do what he said. Pursue Jesus. Pursue the purpose of God. Do you know it? It says in Acts 13, describing David, God himself, this was God's testimony of David's life. He is a man after my own heart. What defined David was not his great military victories. We know of him from David and Goliath. Some of us know of him because of his great psalms that he wrote and his worship songs and, and, and the expression of his gifts, but, but what God celebrated most was actually his heartfelt pursuit, his pursuit of God. See, David asks, he says, hey, hey shall I pursue this troop? Shall, shall, I, shall I go after this? You know why David had success in life? Because he got involved in what God was involved in. He didn't fight his own battles. He fought God's battles. He, he, he knew that if God's not in this, I don't want this. I think one of the most sad things in life is to be really successful at something I'm not called to. Let me say that again. One of the saddest things in life is for me to be really successful at something that I wasn't created for or called to. So, so he, he says, God, are you in this fight? You know, I think the devil, all he has to do is just get us on the wrong fight. Get us tied up in things that don't matter. Get us fighting enemies we're never called to engage in battle with. That we're, we're attacking people instead of fighting in prayer. 2 Corinthians 10, 3, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or earthly, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. I think what America needs is the church to get a hold of this. To realize what we've been given in prayer. To realize what we've been given in faith and in the word of God. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bring every thought into captivity. David, David in this moment, he's strengthening himself. And then he goes, what does God say? Sometimes... We, we don't just need the circumstance to change. We need a word from God. One word from God can change everything. I had, gosh, more than a decade now, probably longer, prayed with a man at our, our, our church. We had a Sunday night prayer service, and, and we're praying over, I think there was like 2,000 people there. And, and God has me pray with this one guy who's physically just dealing with a lot. You know, his color's not right. His, you just tell him physically he's very frail and very weak. Some things, he's dealing with something very serious. But while I'm praying for him, God gives me a word for him. It has nothing to do with healing him. It has every, has, God, the word was, God was going to give him a, a creative idea. <laughs> like, he probably doesn't need a creative idea right now. He probably needs something else. Prayed for him. Went down and prayed for other people. I forget how much time goes by. Six months, a year. Comes to me. His color's back. 
looks healthy, looks strong. Says, hey, God gave me that word. Right after that, I started praying about it. And God gave me, he literally invented a new system for his industry that had to do with training people in his field. And he created this whole simulator, this whole thing, and literally it became something that in the next couple years the people would fly internationally in to, to Phoenix just to train with what he just created, the system he created. And he said, but more importantly, he said, right before that happened, when I started praying, when, when God gave me that idea, I realized the doctor said I was terminal and I was going to die. He had two terminal illnesses. Two terminal illnesses. They gave him a timetable of when he would die. And he said, God gave me an idea. God gave me a word. And that was my promise to let me know God's not done with me. And while he pursued that word, God healed him. I, I, I just, I, sometimes you just need a word from God, church. You just need a word from God. Number three, third and final point is this, recover. David's word from God is pursue. Pursue and you will overtake them. And here's the last part of that verse that I want you to catch. Without fail, recover all. Without fail. Is that because of David's ability? No, it's because of the faithfulness of God. He says, you're going to without fail, recover all. And I just want to pray over you today that you're going to recover. It's time to get back what the enemy stole from you and from your family. Come on, church. See, maybe this isn't even about you. Maybe it's about those in your life. You know, there's, there's a, I, I believe this. There's a purpose on every family. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you know, there's things that I'm doing that I believe, like, I specifically know something that God's had me do that my grandfather was supposed to do. That there's, there's things that God has us do because there's unfulfilled promise and we think it goes away, but it doesn't. Come on, church. I, I think some of us need to remember what the enemy took from you. Remember what the enemy, not, not, to, not to commiserate the past, but to say, God, what do you want to restore? I want us to start this year believing bold for God, believing that God's going to restore, and not just restore, but restore everything the enemy has taken. And when the enemy, there's this, there's, in Proverbs it says, when a thief is found, he has to give back seven times. Of course, it's talking about, you know, the practice in Israel. But uh, I love that promise. Because when the enemy has to pay you back, he, he, he doesn't just, he, he has to pay you back with interest. Come on, what? What has he taken from your peace? What's he taken from your family? What's he taken? It's time for restoration. Job had everything taken. Except his life and his wife. Not sure why the devil left his wife. Maybe he, okay. And, and so Job does something at the end of his story. Well, it's not the end of his story, but towards the end, he, Job prays 
His friends have come along and they've tried to explain why Job's in an ash heap and why this went wrong and that went wrong. And they develop all this theology trying to explain because that's what some of our theology ends up being, us trying to figure out and interpret our pain. And we misinterpret God because we're trying to interpret our pain. And Job, while he's hurting, other people are hurting him worse. And so Job does something. He prays for his friends. The Bible says when Job prayed for his friends, God restored double what he had lost. God's a God of restoration. David got back everything that was taken. And three days later, he became king. Three days later. I I, I don't know how long it's going to be before the breakthrough you've been praying for. Can I just tell you, when you've got God's promise, God's not a man that he should lie. He's faithful. Would you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you today. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co.